0: Forever young adult Welcome to the June 2020 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I'm Annie, your sound engineer, host, and in this book, I am a lesser god.
1: I'm Britt. And in this book, I am Mrs. Puxley, the poor woman who Aphrodite gives a back spasm to.
2: And in this book, um, I'm Amanda. And in this book, I am the aunt of Colette, who is very into the handsome young men who come to our house.
0: <laughs> who wouldn't be? All right. Our, <laughs> our Amuse Bouche is always the bite of what we're gonna get into with the book. And this month's Amuse Bouche is after being caught in a golden net. And in an attempt to excuse her cheating, Aphrodite convinces her husband, Hephaestus, to let her tell a love story. Actually, two. The goddess of love claims them as some of her best work. Set in England and France during World War One, author Julie Berry weaves four young lives together in a tale good enough to impress a god. I think that covers most of it. It's actually a really complicated book, so it's hard to get it all in. Right. Fair yeah, around. there's a lot. Our other cover take, which is when we ask our significant others what they thought of the book without with, by just looking at the cover. I asked Jamile what he thought the book was about. And he said, Love in the
1: midst of the second world
0: war, love and war, love in world war two. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what Garrett said as well. I guess there, there are just so many more World War II stories. Yeah. Yeah, because Garrett said uh it's a love story set during World War II. And maybe she falls in love with the enemy or something like that. And then when I told him it's about World War I and also it's narrated by Greek gods. And he's like, well, you could have led with you'll never fucking guess this.
2: Phil <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. said that he thought it was about a woman or a goddess who was controlling a war because she was holding an Eiffel Tower and like holding the plane. So he thought that she was controlling everything happening in Paris, which to an extent but not the war aspect.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a like the closer frame, right? It is like the goddess's story that she's telling about mm-hmm. these lovers. Yeah, it's complicated. I'm still <laughs> impressed that she wrote this whole book. <laughs> right. I
2: can't, I'm trying to think of any other World War One stories I've read. I think there was one they always made you read in college, like the one where he's not happy, he's my brother. I think that was a World War One story, but I can't
1: think of any others.
2: It's really unique. I'm glad that it was a different era. It's nice.
1: I read one, and now I can't remember which war it was. But I read one about um, the radiation girls. Oh wait, the like the rabbits. The, the, the rabbits. Mm, mm-mm. Like the girls who worked in the factories because the men were off at war and oh. uh, were using. Um, maybe it was World War One, but they were using this like uh radioactive paint to like paint uh watches or whatever to paint the numbers on watches so that soldiers could see um see their watches in the dark or whatever but then like nobody knew the consequences of like the radioactive uh like glowing or whatever and then they all started having these horrible like jaws falling off and like you know just deteriorating and then like nobody knew that that was the cause of it oh what's the name of that book it was really really good (laughs) because it's like um it sort of goes back and forth in time between like a girl who in the present day discovers a painting or she buys like a painting at an antique shop that glows in the dark and then um it goes back and forth between like her and then the uh the woman in the past um because the yeah the painting was made with that like radioactive paint or whatever oh Gosh, it's really good. <laughs> I'm gonna Google it and see if I can find it. Um, I read a radium heading. Radium girls, the Radium girls. The Radium. Okay, I'll just check it. Um, out. Yeah, is so, it? Wait, no, that's not the name of the. It's fiction. It's that wasn't the name of the book, but they were. But it's based on a real, a real thing. So, like in real life, like people, you know, they were known as like the Radium Girls or whatever. Um was the name of the book oh it's just called glow oh yeah okay yeah and the author is megan e bryant yes it is world war one okay that was a really long-winded way to say yes i have read another (laughs) world war one story
2: (laughs) but see you have to dig into your memory
1: because it's an overshadowed
0: war yeah exactly yeah yeah I've read a couple I read Heming Hemingway wrote a book about World War One I. I can't remember what the title of it was but I was just like annoyed <laughs> reading it because he just like has a wife and then he cheats on her like it's just you know it's all it was very masculine and then he has this like very homoerotic relationship with this Italian general and I was just like but it never I mean they're is never that, good pe- people is that a call
2: at arms was that was might be something some, yeah okay, yeah farewell to, farewell to
0: arms That's yeah it. yeah I read that <laughs> I read that and that book ends terribly with like the on the lake going to Sweden and then the girl dies and I'm just like oh god Hemingway
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had to read it in high school so I could not even tell you that it was that during World War One. I'm like I just remember the title and that I had to read it <laughs> I was mostly
2: spared Hemingway we had to read the one with the giant fish and that was <laughs>
0: I read that like, just. Deci- I decided one day I was bored and I wanted to like read a classic. And so I found it on my parents' bookshelf and it's like really short. So I read it in a day and just like so depressed and like threw the book and was like, <laughs> fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also read this other book. I feel like, well, I mean, wars are not happy, right? Like that's actually part of the story, but all of the, the books about World War One that I've read have been really depressing. The other one was a book uh, my cousin gave me years ago as a present and it was straight fiction. And so I never read it. I had it for like 10 years until I finally was like, well, I might as well read this book. And it was about uh, like three, it was a love triangle and two of the people in the love triangle had become addicted to heroin partially because they had been treated for wounds in World War One, and partially one of them was a nurse and like had become trapped in the cycle of like her lover being addicted to heroin mm-hmm. and then it's like a suicide pact and at the oh end of the book they both die and I, I was know. like what? <laughs> why would somebody in my life an adult figure decide this is the book to give me yes. I just, <laughs> I'm like what
2: or like Annie seems too happy-go-lucky <laughs> 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 that.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Our appetizer are poached eggs and an orange and a story structure. So it's a story within a story, kind of within a story. There's different viewpoints and voices. We have a bunch of different ways to structure the um, multiple narratives, including a letter writing piece. And I just wonder how that worked for the book video.
2: It worked really well for me. I love the shell story. I love the fantasy aspect bringing me into this sort of grim war world. Cause I might not have made the journey on its own. It really helped ease me into it. Cause it's such an atrocity and the war was like one of the worst than human history. And it was nice to have that like soft cotton batting of like a fantasy narrative around it. And also I really liked, um, they had different points of view from different gods telling the story and I felt each voice was really individual and um, they were focused on different things they were interested in the humans so that sort of fit. I just thought it was a great great job on that
1: yeah I really liked it I think in the hands of a lesser author it could have felt gimmicky um, but it just it worked it was unique enough to where I'm just like wait what where where are they going with this like I'm gonna keep listening and find (laughs) out like but yeah, you know, otherwise it could have just been sort of a just a just a love story, you know, and just like. But I think like having the the gods narrate it um, was definitely really intriguing, especially because you could sort of like I don't know, like things like when um, Hazel came back and things that might have seemed too like, oh, what a coincidence, or that's convenient, like because there were the gods like being the mm-hmm. puppet masters, like it made sense. Yeah. Totally.
0: That's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought about not being able to get there without the shell story, but yes, the fantasy, the kind of comedic relief of Mm -hmm. the gods setting the stage allows for like the tragedy and emotional weight of the story to like kind of float along rather than just like drag you down. Uh, That totally makes sense. I mean I feel like it's a little genius. I'm, <laughs> I mean the book did win a few awards so and this is clearly not a first time author. So no. I feel like this is someone writing at the height of their craft and you can really tell in the in the novel.
2: Yeah. Me, Julie Berry.
0: Yeah, that's her name. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, Julie Berry, yeah. <laughs> the main course we have are War rations and cold picnic chicken. Um, of course, the war rations, but the cold picnic chicken is like one of the things in the letter writing between James and Hazel. They're asking because they they meet in like a whirlwind week romance and then um, only know each other through their letters and in war. And letters don't aren't regular during wartime. Right. Some get lost, but they are having this communication and kind of getting to know each other. And they talk about like, what would they take on a picnic lunch? And um you know, ask each other different questions. And one of the things is called picnic chicken. Um, and the topic I have here is historically accurate fiction, including individuals from history and, and real events that happened in World War One. And another kind of way, you know, there's so many layers to this, but another way that Julie Berry kind of layered in history and tied um, U.S. relations to what was going on in Europe is through this uh, true historical character, James Reese Europe, who is the first black conductor band leader who played at um, Carnegie Hall and then ended up taking his band as part of the first African-American regiment in the army to World War I to fight. And they thought, you know, and in the story, one of the characters is one of is from the band in the story. They think they're going to go and like just be a band and you know like we're so good, we played Carnegie Hall, we are amazing. Of course they want to hear us play and you know because of race relations and the hierarchy of the way that it works in the US and especially back then, they end up at like the bottom rung just doing the most physical labor. They're attacked, one of uh, you know, they're even targeted and killed. There's a lot of real real history there, but the way she brought in this character and made it through music—that really was a thread that drew me in. And there's music throughout the book. It's so interesting. What did you folks pick up out of that? Was there were there like characters or things that you researched outside of the book, or things that you didn't know about that you found out through the book?
2: I did not. I didn't know that he was actually a real person until like the afterward from the author. But it seemed so. I, I hate using the word random, but it just seemed like a thing I wouldn't have expected. That I felt like it had to be real, and I do remember reading about more of the battles that James went through in history. So I definitely remember the the sort of stormtrooper German scary troop thing. So that felt like pretty accurate to what I remember my history teachers discussing of World War One. But um, the music thing was new. It was a surprise to me. It was really interesting. And um, especially how they had the music in the audiobook, which you said was original, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they constructed it like clearly for this. I thought that was really great.
1: Yeah, I can't find the article now. I'm like always doing this. <laughs> I'm like, remember, I read this thing. I just don't know where it is. Um, but the thing that really, I would love to read historical fiction, like just about the Harlem Hellfighters and like that whole thing but um there was a part of the story that really stuck out to me was that when the black soldiers came back or to came back to the U.S. or whatever just that like they had done all of this work just to still sort of be treated like shit and there was a newspaper headline in particular um that was mentioned in the book and like I don't know I we'll try to look it up, (laughs) but it's like, it was the way that it was written. It was just so jarring that like it, I was like, I don't know. I felt like this seems real. Like she's not making this up. And then I Googled it and it was real, but it was the part, the journalist or whatever who wrote the newspaper article about the black regiment and uh, said, it said something in the headline. Like it, it just was sort of saying like, Oh my gosh, we're so surprised that like these icky black people who like nobody likes actually did something great for our country. And, you know, like now the new way to be, to spell American will be N-I-G-G-E-R or whatever. And I was just like, that just seems too real. (laughs) Like, so I Googled it and it was real. And I found this article that talked about like, like more about like that particular article with that headline and that um, journalist and people's reactions and things. And I was just like,
2: (laughs) It's like, what's more racist than your racism
1: is your turnaround on racism. (laughs) You can just
2: somehow even be worse. And
1: so it's, yeah. Yeah. But something about the way that it was said, it was like uh, a word that is sometimes muttered in the shadows and sometimes used in white households, sometimes with kindness, but usually not in front of black people. And I don't know. And it was just sort of like, this is just, this is just too like horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be real. Yeah,
0: yeah and but like, you know, as you're talking about it, that really makes me feel like the, you know, today's rhetoric where like people want any excuse to be able to say it, right? I was like, this yes. person was looking for an excuse to print that in print, in <laughs> their article, right? In the headline. A hundred just, years like,
2: ago. you you knew that it was bad like 100 years ago like people always try to act like that word just became bad like 50 years ago (laughs) within my parents lifetime you know
0: though there was that terrible Chris Brown what's his face freaky Friday song where like really the point of the song is so that the white guy gets to sing the n-word because he's pretending to be Chris Brown I mean Chris Brown's a terrible human anyway but I was just like that is like the epitome example of like how weird and like fetishistic that it is in our culture you know like people are like oh it's so bad but that's why I want to say it so badly and I'm just like "Ah." Uh,
1: yeah meanwhile we're just like you have millions and millions and millions of other words we're literally asking you to just leave this one alone <laughs> It's great. and people are like, "But that makes me wanna say, <laughs> Right. right. It's the big red button <laughs> that you can't push.'" <laughs> yeah, I have I have complicated feelings about the N word. <laughs> I imagine. <love> you. um. <laughs>
0: Does your family use it,
1: Britt? No. Mm-mm. Like, not even really casually. Like, I'm. I don't care if like other black people use it around me or whatever like I I totally understand like reclaiming and like uh using it as like a term of endearment or whatever it's just never like felt comfortable for me Mm -hmm. but I will like sing it if I'm singing a song (laughs) or whatever and it's like you know I'm not gonna like censor myself for that but like I just yeah just personally I don't
0: did you, have either
1: of you watched I May Destroy You?
0: Yes. No. Do you want to talk about know. that scene, Britt, where the one with the um, the guy who's like, wants to have sex with women because he's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, he, and the white woman that he ends up like having sex with sings a different word. What is, she, I can't even remember, but she's like, it's my replacement word. <laughs> yeah.
2: I want to watch that show. I love the lady who wrote it. She wrote Chewing Gum, and good. it's a really, really great
1: show. Yeah, it's good. It's really intense, but it's good. I just got HBO back. We just got our TV hey. set up so I can watch
2: this. I can watch Lovecraft Country, all these cool things I've been waiting oh. for. I'm excited.
1: Lovecraft Country is so intense. Yeah, I
2: imagine, like,
1: with all the <laughs> Cthulhu ness like, the great yeah. uttering
2: madness. You can't even describe it.
1: I had Garrett watch the first episode to tell me how scary it was because I don't like I'm okay with like gore I'm okay with like psychological thrillery horror but like jump scares like just wreak havoc on my anxiety (laughs) so I had him watch the first episode and like I was like how scary is it and he's like honestly like the racism is the scariest thing in the show like more than the monsters more than the jump scares more than like the blood and gore you know because the racism Um, is real yeah right
0: Uh, anyway we can can move on we can talk about that we can move on yeah I I definitely did a little research on James Reese Europe and I was just like fascinated with Carnegie Hall because Carnegie Hall is like a weird symbolic place in U.S. culture Uh, and I ended up looking up like there's a description of the trench and I ended up looking up images of the trench and it's very accurate and, and the battle that um, James is at at one point is a famous battle where the Germans did overcome the French lines and so um, it's very very for anyone who's a history buff who wants to read like a historically accurate novel this is with love this would be mm-hmm. a good one <laughs> and then we have these um, two couples we have James and Hazel and Aubrey and Colette and I just like I don't know. I think it's really cute. Do either of you want to say anything about them? I mean, I'm sure we have favorites, but I kind of... (laughs) (laughs) They could not be more adorable, like both of them. (laughs) Right.
2: They just could not be more sweet. They're the romance that you want to root for on both sides. And there's so much, like, star-crossedness, especially with Aubrey and Colette. Like, they can't get their communications through to each other. And it really, I mean, it more than messes with her. Like, maybe he doesn't like me. She's like, oh, maybe he's dead. Because, like, the Marine troops have been killing their own soldiers, like due to racist reasons. So he might actually just be lying in a ditch somewhere here. And I don't know, like, so it was really tense. And I really, especially given her situation where her entire village was slaughtered, right? Yeah. Bef- yes. Yeah. So she just has no experience, but trauma. Like, so it was really, I was so happy that they got to be together at the end. I think I would have rioted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah you know it well and then she's just so kind and as soon as she sees sorry hazel she like immediately befriends hazel right it's colette who reaches out and who is like you're another lost soul you clearly need someone to be your, your friend and just like you know and they have the musical bond and all of it i was just like ah it's like a, <laughs> it's a great friendship love as well as like actual emotional like star love like you said
2: That was actually the hardest part in the book for me is when we think that maybe Hazel's going to be dead and Colette was like, I I shouldn't have made friends with you. It was selfish Mm. because everybody that I love has something horrible happen to them. I was like choking up talking about it right now. It was like, oh,
1: I felt it hard. Yeah. Yeah. I really like both couples and Hazel and James also had their own, you know, sort of like i could i could just really relate to like just both of them were just so in their head like oh well she's not gonna like me because ptsd or shell shock or whatever it was called then and she's like oh well maybe he thinks blah 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 and oh I it's just like oh like it's just because like we're seeing it like the gods right like sort of from above and we're like seeing both of them and it's just like just stop get over yourselves (laughs) Together. Right? Because now I have to make this lady have a (laughs) back. Exactly. (laughs) Because you can't work it out. Poor Mrs. (laughs) Puxley. Just as a pawn in like the greater scheme of love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I really like um yeah, James and Colette. I mean, Aubrey and Colette as well. And I just the Juxtaposition also between how look what happened when you know there was like the slightest hint of people finding out that these white girls were hanging out with like a black soldier and like just you know the horrible uh uh what's her name the the boss that the YMCA the who, white, like, yeah went out of her fucking way yeah. to write a letter saying like <laughs> you know just yeah and you know people literally getting reassigned and murdered and things over it and then the way that um Aubrey's family just totally embraced Colette
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're just like you make our son happy and I was just like wow <laughs> that's really fucking real yeah.
0: and that's what it Beautiful. should be Ugh. yeah no it is it is really real and I did like that I mean I, I thought it was interesting to have it be in world war one where when they go back to the u.s women can't vote still right and so we're still at this like place where like the only people who are the citizens of power are white men but the people who like fought and protected the nation are both black men and white women and just like how that's the reason why that war ended, you know, was the support of those additional people and not because of what the white men were doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do either of you want to say anything more about that? We can talk about dessert or drinks.
2: I, I love the lemon cake where Aphrodite came in and played a waitress because I'm just picturing this beautiful goddess, like making herself into a frumpy middle-aged British <laughs> waitress, like, and just delighting and being able to change. I, it, it was really those fantasy touches that totally... T- brought away to my heart and made me like open up for this narrative it was so cute
1: yeah and I love that um you know she she's like okay I'm just gonna like take human form or whatever and be a waitress and strategically serve them this sugary lemon cake when sugar is rationed and then like other people at the cafe are like oh can I get some of that, can I some of that? and she's like uh and just ends up like serving all these cakes to randoms <laughs> She's like, oh, I guess I have to do it now. Like, I don't know. That's just- <laughs> she has a sense of
0: fair play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I really, really want a bite of Aphrodite's lemon cake. Can't you imagine yeah. like, how glorious that would be? And I, and I think it's a little bit of a metaphor for like when you see two people like truly in love. Like you want some of that, right? Like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. A new budding romance, and like you can see their faces twinkling. You're like, oh. You know.
1: <laughs> My, my best friend really likes romance and historical fiction. And so I was like, I have got the book for you. Yes. <laughs> so, and I was like, get it in audiobook because full cast and the different narrators and original music and it's amazing. So she waited for it, like on the library hold list. And I was nervous because I have recommended books to her in the past that I like super, super loved. And she was like, eh. <laughs> so I was like trying not to hype this one up too much. <laughs> I was just like... <laughs> You know, and so she would, like, call me and update me with, like, where she was in the story, and I was just like, yes! I mean, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Did she love it?
0: Yeah. Yay. Yeah, this is, dessert is the Music, which we've talked about a little bit, but yeah, the whole, I mean, the, the audiobook is full production, so... You know, we're in a virtual world, so if you can't go pick up a book from your library, you should absolutely get the audio <laughs> production. And they yes. designed original music, so part of Aubrey's skill in in being from the James Reese Europe uh, band is that he's this incredible piano player. And so there's all these scenes where he makes regular music like the Revelry into ragtime, and just like doesn't mm-hmm. fly, and is you know clearly a. a, a an early jazz improviser and so in this the audio production they have like jazz improvisation rag that they've created it throughout the book um it's just glorious it's like a really great
1: yeah it's very special yeah it brings you like into the story even more and the era Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, it really does kind of make that full picture. It really is almost like looking at a painting or like falling into something the way like it's orchestrated. And then the last thing I have on here is drinks which is a cup. Of course, they're in Britain. Uh, James and Hazel are British. So they have tea for everything and um, I just like, I cried so many times (laughs) (laughs) reading this book.
2: Right? It was like yeah, I, an AT&T commercial, like, from the 80s, I just couldn't stop, like, it was, it was phoning home, it was amazing, like, I just thought that they, I really, like, actually worried for the safety of the characters in a way that I've gotten so jaded that I don't anymore, and of course, like, the thing I'm jaded about where the character doesn't actually die happens, and I, but I didn't even care, I was like, yes, this is good, don't kill <laughs> them, I don't care if it is cheap and cliche, <laughs> like, I will riot if she dies. <laughs>
1: like, Every time. <laughs> Every time it was Hades turn to narrate, like my blood ran cold. I was like, oh no, who died?
2: Stop Hades.
1: (laughs) Oh, it was brutal. Like in the best way. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I literally sobbed. Like just, I was crafting, I was making, oh, I was making the baby quilts, I think for my friend. And I was just like, literally sobbing, like tears (laughs) running down my face. For like 20 minutes at one point, and I was like, What is happening? <laughs> this book is yeah, the quilt, just end. dabbing your eyes. <laughs> like, I had to stop and just like like heave. And I was like, Oh my God. I really needed that apparently. <laughs> yeah,
2: seriously. Yeah.
0: Sometimes that's it's so really cool. hard to cry about like the stuff that you're going through in the moment. And like this year has been one of those years. And it's some mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love books so much is sometimes like the cry you need to have that you can't have about your own stuff you can have about these stories exactly yeah it was perfect for that
2: (laughs) yeah highly recommend
0: (laughs) yeah that's all i have to say any last words
2: so until next time book a petite overture december
0: 1942 i hear a rhapsody